are listening to episode 13 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 28, Diurnia Orbital, December 26, 2372. Getting four people together and ready to go at the same time should not have been that big a deal. The process became complicated by having to pick some place for dinner that let us maintain a low profile and wear ship suits instead of civvies. We wound up at the Miller Moth, and my stomach clenched as we strolled through the door. The last time I'd been near the place, I peeked in to see my ex-wife serving at the bar. It had been months since, and I didn't even know if she still worked there. Glancing around, I didn't see any of the staff I recognized and began to relax. As a pub, the Miller Moth's decor and ambience left a bit to be desired. It was long on formica and short on wood and leather, tending more toward diner than pub, but they served a burger that was second to none. I hadn't had better fries anywhere in the quadrant. They also brewed great beer. I ordered a pitcher and four glasses to go with the meal. The group was a bit stiff. Chief Bailey seemed a bit bewildered by the two women. Ms. Arione couldn't seem to stop looking for targets and exits, while Ms. Maloney simply sat, watching everything attentively. When the beer came, I poured out four glasses and raised mine in a toast, waiting for them to follow suit. The chief grinned at me across the table, and we waited for the women to join us. To those we've lost. Chief Bailey looked a bit surprised, thinking maybe I'd make a joke. Ms. Arione smiled, a bit sadly perhaps, but clinked her glass to mine. Ms. Maloney gave me a hard look, but went along. I took a long pull of the nutty ale and put the glass down, leaning on the table. Well, crew, tomorrow we've got about ten pallets of equipment coming first thing in the morning. Ms. Maloney looked a bit shocked, and I think Ms. Arione thought I exaggerated. The chief knew how many spares he needed. He knew I underestimated the good news is that most of it will just slide back into the store's locker and engineering, and the rest is equipment for the galley. I need to do some serious menu planning when we get back tonight, but we should be stocked and ready to go by this time tomorrow. Ms. Arione grinned. It's about time, Skipper. Well, given that it hasn't been even half a day since I signed the papers, I'm pleased with the progress, and thank you all for helping make that happen today. I picked up my beer and gave them another toast, then sipped. If the chief's estimates on repairs are correct, we'll leave the maintenance docks the day after tomorrow, and we'll take her out for a spin around the local system to check sails, kickers, and the rest of the running gear. We'll stay out a whole day and come back to the orbital the day after that. But then I want to grab a cargo and head for jet. We probably won't get too much cargo, just enough for us to stretch our legs and shake the ship out. The burgers and fries arrived then, and we dug in. Even Ms. Maloney ate with a certain gusto, and I immediately felt bad that I'd unintentionally lumped her in with the stereotype. I vowed to do better. After we'd given the food its proper due for a few ticks, I looked around the table. Ms. Arione was looking for threats. The chief was elbow deep in his plate and methodically working through it like he hadn't eaten in a week, and Ms. Maloney maintained her reserve as best she could while licking salt off her fingers. Our next order of business is brainstorming, I announced in the relative quiet and took another bite of burger. Ms. Arione groaned. How do we differentiate ourselves, sir? Again? I nodded and swallowed a bite of burger. Afraid so, Miss Arione. The chief looked up at her, then over to me. Differentiate, Skipper. Yes, Chief. There's hundreds of ships, dozens of them fast packets. How do we stand out in the fleet? What do we do that's different? He chuckled and went back to his food, occasionally looking up at me, or Miss Arione, or Miss Maloney. Your thoughts, Miss Maitland? 
She looked at me oddly for a moment, one eyebrow arched. She deliberately reached into her plate and fished out a fry. When she finished, she pursed her lips and shook her head. I'm sorry, Captain, but being a quarter share, I'm not even sure what my duties are, let alone what the ship might do. She leaned over the table and took another small bite of her burger, followed it with a sip of beer. Ms. Arione looked like she might like to take offense on my behalf at the non-answer, and even the chief was grinning into his plate. You know, Ms. Maitland, you make an interesting point. We'll address your training soon enough, but given your newcomer status in our midst, you can offer a unique insight. How so, Captain? You have no preconceived notions about what we might do with a small, fast ship. One of the things that I found helpful over the course of my career is that I didn't start as a spacer. I don't have generations of prior practice to tell me what anything is. I have to figure it out as I go. I nibbled on the end of a French fry. You're in a similar situation as a quarter-share crewman, Miss Maitland. What do you think we should use the ship for to make money? What's our edge over the rest of the people who'd like to see us fail so they can take our cargoes? She frowned just slightly and glanced at the chief to see what he was making of all this. If he was aware of anything other than the rapidly dwindling pile on his plate, he didn't show it. I don't know, Captain. She gave a little shrug and, almost as if against her will, offered, I guess I assumed that there was always more cargo than carrier. The chief cackled a bit without looking up. Yes and no, Miss Maitland. We need a little bit of edge in terms of which cargo to take. The iris can't take a lot of anything compared to the larger mixed freight or bulk haulers. Think jewel box rather than box car. What we have is legs, or at least that's the theory and the one we'll test in the next couple of weeks. While a larger ship is still crawling up out of the gravity well, we'll be bending space. Before a tractor could make it to the Burleson limit on the outbound leg, we could be a jet. She looked startled at that. Really, Captain? That's the theory. There are a lot of variables in the formula, and a lot of them are unknowns. A fast packet can get from here to there and back before the bigger ships can even get to there. I need to think of how to position our fledgling transportation empire best to take advantage of that strength, and I want you all to think about that with me. Captain, why would we do that? Your pay depends on how much a ship makes. The more the ship makes, the better off you are. Also, the more the ship makes, the better we can make life aboard. Given the amount of time we spend packed in the can, even small improvements in the bottom line can make big improvements in life aboard. Miss Arione muttered, I'm going to miss that hot tub. Me too, Miss Arione. The chief looked up at that. Hot tub? Miss Arione nodded. Yes, chief. The skipper here had a bet with a couple of crew on the Agamemnon about who could pick cargo the best. The chief grinned at me. You devil. How'd it work out? Pretty well, chief. It's a long story, but the punchline is the guy who won wanted a hot tub. We found room for one and had it installed. He laughed and shook his head. How the devil did you pay for that one, Cap? The banging company don't usually go in for frills, and I'm assuming we're talking about the Agamemnon. I paid for it myself. The improvements in share value offset the cost several times over. Ms. Maloney's expression went from carefully bland to thoughtful, although she kept her attention on her plate. I looked around the plates at the table and realized that not only were the plates empty, but the beer was gone. Anybody want dessert? A general collection of no's resulted in my thumbing the tab, and we adjourned to the chandlery to outfit our ratings. As we walked along the promenade, Chief Bailey asked, You mind if I head back to the ship, Skipper? I figured you might, Chief, or go shopping or something. Be ready for breakfast at 0600. He grinned at me. You cooking? Not tomorrow, but I probably will after that. His head cocked to one side, and disbelief washed across his face. You're a banging cook, too? Well, I know which end of a spatula to hold. He chortled and shook his head. Well, I never. Cap, you're a never-ending source of amusement. You are indeed. 
Well, where do you taste my cooking, Chief? You might decide you'd rather be the cook. He chortled some more. Unlikely, Cap. Unbangin' likely. On our way past the lift, the Chief waved goodbye and headed back to the ship while the rest of us headed for the chandlery. Our first stop was ship suits. Ms. Maloney seemed slightly amused at the prospect, but Ms. Arione appeared more uneasy. Skipper, she asked, what is it you're thinking here? She eyed the racks of multicolored ship suits, then looked down at her somewhat stained and worn one. You want us to pick suits? DST had their own suits for ratings, Miss Arione. Icarus needs to as well. But it's just the two of us, Skipper. Can't we just go with what we got? Miss Maitland doesn't even have a change of skivvies, Miss Arione. We provide them so the mass doesn't come out of your allotment. Well, yes, sir, but you want us to pick them? She looked at Miss Maloney and then around the racks. Out of all these... Well, that's the idea, Miss Arione. Miss Maloney seemed amused at Miss Arione's predicament. Do you have any color preference, Miss Maitland? I asked. None, Captain. She turned a bland face to me. Well, that makes it easier. Miss Arione, might I suggest something in a deep blue? Maybe black? She frowned back at me. Are you mad, Skipper? Do you have any idea what they'd look like once they fade a bit? She shuddered dramatically. And black? It would show every piece of lint and dust on the ship. Well, I hope there won't be that much, Miss Arione. She shot me the look of exasperation again. Situational awareness, Skipper, I need to shop. Understood, Miss Arione? Please consult with Miss Maitland on your selections. I stepped back a half a step and turned so that my back was to the outer bulkhead of the store. I had a clear line of sight and noted the other shoppers mostly clustered around the various counters. A clerk hovered nearby but didn't seem too inclined to help. I marked the nearest exits and looked left and right to see what opportunities existed. The idea that anything would happen in the brightly lighted and carefully monitored store seemed ludicrous, but so many people seemed to think it was a problem I couldn't help but compare it to Mr. Paul's obsession with pirates before he was attacked. The memory of that attack made me survey the surroundings a bit more carefully. In less time than I thought possible, the two women waved at me, and I crossed to where they stood in an ocean of blues. They held matching suits in a pale blue-gray with a dark blue trim. The trim was tastefully done, unlike some with piping on every seam and decorative stitching everywhere. What do you think, Skipper? The color's not so saturated, but still has a nice hue. You think a guy would wear this? A guy, Miss Arione? Well, yes, sir. If you hire a guy, you won't want to replace everybody's ship suit. Good thinking, Miss Arione. I took one of them and held it up to myself and looked in the mirror at the end of the rack. Looks good to me. Thanks, Skipper. Let's get these on order and we can pick up another tablet while they're being printed. I summoned the lurking clerk and explained what we wanted. He grabbed the stock numbers and sizes and headed for the back. We made our way to the electronics department and purchased an officer-class tablet for Ms. Maloney. The clerk was the same one we'd had before, but if he remembered me, he gave no sign. The captain's stars were all he looked at. We went back to the garment section and found that they'd printed only one of each suit, Arione and Maitland. I guess we didn't make it clear. I need five of each, I told the clerk. And can I get ten sets of ship tees, boxers, and socks in each of these two sizes? He nodded. Well, of course, Captain. I looked at the two women. Anything else, Miss Maitland? Miss Arione? Bras, Captain, Miss Maloney said with just a hint of a smirk. Thank you, Miss Maitland. If you'd provide the clerk with the proper measurements, they did so, and I told him, ten each. This will be quite a bundle, Captain, and the printing will take a while. We'll take these with us, I pointed to the two suits, and I've got a big order being delivered to the ship in the morning. Can you add the clothing to that? He pulled up a computer screen and found the replenishment order. Of course, Captain. Will there be anything else? No, thank you. You've been a great deal of help. I bundled the two ship suits up and tucked them under my arm. Miss Arione, if you'd take us back to the ship... Aye, aye, Captain. 
As we walked back to the ship, I couldn't help but notice the thoughtful expression on Ms. Maloney's face. Chapter 29, Diurnia Orbital, December 27, 2372. My first morning aboard, I did not want to get up. I understand that for a lot of people, a nice lie-in is delightful. I've always been one of those wake-up-get-up people, and low digits like five don't bother me. That first morning was different. I couldn't put my finger on the cause, but the bed was a contributing factor. When I ordered the mattresses and linens for the crew quarters, I didn't cheap out on them. The mattresses were top shelf, and the linens had the same high thread count that the LaGrange Point used. It wouldn't have surprised me if they came from the same manufacturer. A part of me counted the credits, but another part of me argued the incremental value of high-quality bedding would be an excellent investment in the long run. For the first time in Stanier's, I woke in a bed that was both comfortable and my own. I looked forward to waking in it many times. Unfortunately, between the thought that perhaps many times might be limited to as few as ninety, and the fact that my bladder didn't care how comfy the sheets were, I had to get up. I patted to the head, took care of business, and stripped out of my boxers and tea. Whoever dragged my mattress up and made it for me had also stocked my head with towels and other supplies, so I was in and out of the shower and nothing flat. Remembering my earlier experience, I was rather tentative about taking the towel off the bar, but felt a bit better when the fitting stayed on the bulkhead. I slipped into a fresh ship suit, and as I transferred the contents of my pockets, I realized I still had the owner's key. I bounced it in my hand a couple times, and wonder if I better keep it on the ship after all. The ship had a safe, but I suspected I needed to get a locksmith to open it and change the combination for me. I slipped the key into my pocket again and began the serious business of business. At 0545, I was on the mess deck and vaguely discomforted that we did not have a watch set. Strictly speaking, it wasn't necessary on a ship of our size, or even possible. I was responsible for the ship, period. I contemplated the coffee urn, but decided to wait until we got back to make a fresh pot. At 0555, my two ratings showed up on the mess deck wearing their new ship suits. Ms. Arione looked quite snazzy in hers. Ms. Maloney looked even better. The coverall suited her tall, slender shape, and she'd folded the sleeves back to form a kind of French cuff. How was your first night aboard? I asked them as they strolled onto the mess deck. Ms. Arione beamed. Those mattresses are the best, sir. I liked it better than the ones up at the LaGrange. Ms. Maloney smiled. I have to say, Captain, it was rather unexpected. A very nice touch. We're going to spend a lot of time here. We may as well be comfortable, I said. Ms. Maloney asked. Is it an extravagance, do you think, Captain? The incremental cost between good bedding and the okay bedding is not that much, Miss Maloney. Given that we'd have to buy okay bedding because the not okay was not worth buying, the question became moot rather fast. Would you have a different opinion if you had to buy 40 mattresses instead of four, Captain? I pondered that for a moment. Actually, I wonder if it wouldn't make more sense with 40. How so, Captain? One of the characteristics of those mattresses, besides they're a lot more comfortable, they're also a lot more durable. If I'm replacing 40 mattresses every three or four stanniers, and I can buy one that costs only 25% more, but stretch my replacement period to five to seven stanniers, that's a good deal. She frowned thoughtfully, and she might have said something else, but the chief came shuffling onto the mess deck. How come there's no banging coffee, huh? He stuck his head forward, twisting his neck to look accusingly at the two ratings, and then at me. No coffee? You? Sorry, Chief, I said. I'm looking for mine, too, but no sense to make it and let it go cold. Let's go find some breakfast and get back before the chandlery delivery arrives. I'll make a fresh pot then. He sighed dramatically, 
threw up his arms in exasperation and stomped off the mess deck toward the ladder. Come on, then, days a-wasting while you're burning O2. Ms. Arione's lips twitched a little, and Ms. Maloney looked positively confused. Shall we try to catch up with him? I suggested. Ms. Arione scampered out, and Ms. Maloney followed more sedately. I bumped the lighting panel on the way and followed them down the ladder. By the time the chief had the lock open, Ms. Arione had caught up with him and scooted out, head moving before she cleared the lock. Over easy, Miss Arione, I called. She shot me a look, but then shrugged. We were going to be aboard for a long time, and I wanted one more pile of Frank's finest before we left. Miss Maloney followed the grumbling chief down the ramp, and with a few quick strides I caught up with her as she stepped on the dock. Miss Arione waited, but the chief stomped down the dock, leaving a plume of breath in the chilled air as he went. I slapped the lock plate and nodded for Miss Arione to lead on. The chief waited for us at the maintenance hatch, holding it open with a scowl as the women stepped through and giving me a nod and a wink as I followed. He slammed and dogged the hatch behind me and ambled along with a petulant look on his face, although giving up his grumbling tirade. You ever eat it over easy, chief? He looked up at me with a grin. Oh, I, Cap, man, has magic in his spatula, I swear, he sighed. That'll be the downside of shipping out, I'm guessing. What's that, chief? You can't eat there? He pressed his lips together and nodded. Yeah, at least why is there something to look forward to coming home, though, right? Very true, Chief. In just a few ticks, we pushed through the door, and the heavenly aromas of hot coffee, savory bacon, and frying onions threatened me with pure bliss. Miserione locked up just inside the door, unable to deal with the crowd in threat assessment mode. Easy, Miserione. Nobody's expecting us here. She nodded, not stopping her scan. I looked over the heads of the crowd and realized that my usual habit of grabbing an empty stool at the counter wouldn't work with an extended party. I started scanning for a table, but the blonde guy behind the counter caught my eye and pointed to a booth tucked off to the side. I could see the busboy just clearing it. Eleven o'clock, Miss Arione, tuck in the back corner. She swiveled and started eeling through the crowd, the chief right on her heels, opening a wider path. Ms. Maloney flowed through the gap, and even walking that close behind her, I couldn't help but notice how well the ship suit fit her. I sighed and shook my head. We slipped into the booth just as the busboy finished wiping it off and took his tub of dirty dishes through the swinging door. I took the seat in the corner, and Ms. Maloney took the one across from me. Ms. Arione and the chief took seats outboard of us. Anybody coming for us would have to go through them. While I admired the sentiment, I still had a hard time with the overt paranoia. A dark-haired guy I recognized as Phil ambled over to the table. He scanned us once, checking rank insignia, and focused on me. Morning, Captain. Good morning, Phil. Coffee all around. I'll have Frank's finest, three over, three bacon, wheat toast. He gathered orders from the others at the table and slipped back behind the counter to turn it in. He returned instantly with packets of flatware, mugs, and a thermal carafe that he used for the first round and then left on the table. They'll be right up, folks. He smiled and moved to the next table. I grabbed my cup and took a few heartbeats to savor it while I looked around. The chief leaned in and barely lifted the mug from a table before finding the rim with his lip and sipping. Ms. Arione had a hard time adding cream and watching all the people in the restaurant, while Ms. Maloney watched me over the top of her mug while she sipped daintily from it. One thing about Overeasy that I never ceased to marvel at, besides the food, was that it didn't matter how many people were there. You didn't need to wait long for your meal. Maybe it was that they specialized on breakfast and were able to keep things cooking even before the orders came in. It took a little longer to get food for four together, but even in the morning rush, our wait was surprisingly brief. Phil brought our meals over and distributed them within just a few ticks and even refilled the coffee for us before moving on. He never seemed to hurry, but he was always moving. The man was smooth. 
I was about halfway through my pile of potatoes when Miss Arioni said, Maybe trouble. Her voice was low and directed to the center of the table. Her inflection made it sound like she might have said, Pass the pepper. The chief asked, Where away? In that same conversational tone without actually looking up from his plate. My nine, far end of the counter, bullet head, flat top, paying too much attention to us. I kept my head down and kept eating. Tourists, the chief said after a minute. He looked over at me and elbowed me with one of his grins. You son of a gun, I bet you got your picture snapped again last night and these boys recognized you. I looked at him and forced a grin in return. I could see them over his head. Yeah, probably. I've been plagued by newsies lately and there was a news conference yesterday. That's probably it, thank Cap. He went back to eating and I followed suit. Miss Maloney surprised me by pulling her tablet out of the holster and started consulting it as she ate. It didn't take her long before she snickered and turned her tablet so I could see it. The image was only a bit grainy and showed me holding my beer glass up in toast. The caption read, I'll have another, and under it in smaller letters, Diurnia's newest fleet owner celebrates. The chief leaned over and squinted at it, too. I heard him snort. You see it, too, chief. Oh, I Cap. Time to put a little space behind us, I'm thinking he said as he readdressed his rapidly emptying plate. Ms. Arione, trying to watch five directions at once, asked, What is it? Ms. Maloney answered, A picture of the captain holding up his beer glass in the restaurant last night. She held the tablet so Ms. Arione could see the screen. Ms. Arione glanced at it once and said, Crap. The chief grunted his agreement. Ms. Maloney turned it back to look at it with a slight frown on her face. It's not that bad. You've got to expect they'll grab pictures of public figures, Captain. After yesterday, you're certainly a public figure. I looked over at her with a smile. I know, Miss Maitland, but it's not my picture I'm worried about. Her frown furrowed deeper for a moment, and she looked back down at her tablet. I could see her studying it, and then the scene registered with her. Crap, she said. While the photo had framed me nicely, and I was obviously the target, the shooter also managed to get the side of Miss Maloney's face in the frame. It wasn't a good photo, and the graininess obscured much of her identity, but I suspected that anybody who knew her would be able to recognize her well enough. Eat up, people, I mumbled. It's time to get back to the ship. As we finished up our meal, the attention from the far end of the counter became more intense. The two workmen even called Seth over and showed him their copy of the newsie. He looked at it, looked at us, looked at it again, and I could see him reading it. He was about to give it back when he stopped and did a double-take. He said something to the guy at the counter who nodded. Be ready, Miss Arione murmured. Miss Maloney holstered her tablet, picked up a coffee cup, sipping from it sparingly and carefully not looking at the developing situation behind the counter. Seth took the newsie and leaned into the kitchen. Even over the hubbub, I could hear him say, Hey, Frank! From our angle, I couldn't see into the kitchen, but Seth leaned over and thrust the newsie through it, presumably holding it so Frank could see. Seth nodded to something and then turned his head to look at us. Yeah, right over there. I couldn't so much hear him as see it on his lips. A head poked out through the pass-through and looked in our direction. I realized then it was the first time I'd ever seen Frank's face. He'd always had his back turned, head down, working on the grill. In all the stanyards, I'd been on Diurnia. After all the meals I'd eaten there, I realized I'd never seen his face. Time to go, Ms. Arione said and started to rise. The chief started to rise, but I said no. It was command voice, no, and both Ms. Arione and the chief froze as those eyes stared at me. Frank withdrew his head, and I panted a little for breath. Stay, I said, just as the swinging door opened and Frank stepped out of the back and walked over to the table, his eyes on me. He stood there for a moment, the newsie clasped in his hand and a tentative smile on his face. You're Captain Wong, he asked.
I am. I could barely speak. Ishmael Horatio Wong. I nodded. He took a deep breath. I'm... He started to say something, but changed it to Frank Wong. I smiled. Franklin Prescott Wong? He nodded, and I could see what might be tears forming. Terrible timing, Captain. Breakfast rush and all. I can see that, sir. Perhaps I could come back later, or you could visit the ship when you get off. He nodded, and we became aware of the pool of silence that surrounded us. Seth and Phil looked at each other and shrugged. Yes, I'd like that. He paused, then added, I have to get back to work. I do too, sir. He turned and started for the door, but stopped before he got there. How's your mother? I shook my head. Passed away. Decades gone. Something left him then, and he seemed to deflate a little. This afternoon, I'll come to your ship, and maybe we can talk. I'd like that, sir. Which one is yours? A maintenance dock three. Iris. He arched an eyebrow and grinned. With a nod, he disappeared back through the door, and the spell broke. Okay, crew, as soon as I pay this tab, we need to get out of here before some wise guy decides to get snap-happy. I waved a hand at Phil, who got the hint and brought the tab for me to thumb. The chief led the way out, and in a matter of two ticks, we were in the lift, heading for the ship. Nobody said anything, but the curious glances from Miss Arione were becoming quite heavy. Finally, the chief muttered, I can't believe you know Frank. I chuckled, and they looked at me. I don't, I said. Sure seemed like it to me, Cap. Anybody knows your middle name. Seems like they know you. I shook my head. I used to know him, I think. A long time ago. You think, Skipper? Miss Arione asked. I was four the last time I saw Miss Arione. I don't remember much about it. Four? As in four stand years old? Miss Maloney regarded me with an oddly contemplative look. You haven't seen your father since you were four? That's correct, Miss Maitland. If you don't count the 15 Staniers, I've been eating it over easy and looking at the back of his head. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>